Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me. Very interesting discussion to take place this week on the show. I'll have the president of the National Shoot to Retrieve Association. Bill Sumter will be joining me in just a few minutes to talk about that organization, but also about all the things that he has learned uh, hunting, training dogs for all sorts of field trial and hunt tests, and of course, all the things we can learn as a result of that. His experience is invaluable, and I'm looking forward to having an in-depth discussion with him. Our Handle It training segment is back, and we will talk about, well, uh, how to fuel your dog in the field. What I'm using these days to do that seemed to work for me, and maybe for you as well. I'll give you the rationale behind that. And on Facebook, speaking of that sort of thing, I talked earlier in the month about... Um, whether you feed or not in the morning of a hunt and why. And so uh, we'll get your feedback on all of that. I think you'll find some of those comments quite interesting. It's all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, and find BirdHuntingSpots.com. Well, a recent chucker hunt. By the way, thank you, Mark, for taking me to that spot. Uh, chucker hunt we did, oh, uh, somewhere in north central Oregon. Uh, just had a day. Had to get up above the fog line to see anything from running dogs to flying birds. But had a great time. Incredible habitat and lots of birds. Uh, I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time almost every time luckily mark and brian were not so when they were on the top of the hill i was on the bottom of the hill when they were uh already across the fence i was rolling under it whatever it was uh well including that the first point of the day was flicks beautiful hook around come back up wind toward us hold that point as brian is walking towards him I'm still crawling under the fence, and there go the birds. That's how the day went to a great degree, except for one time. We got two of the three dogs out. They were already working while Flick was still in the truck looking at us. Um, Setter goes on point. Birds get up. One comes straight over like one of those driven pheasant shoots in England. I hit it good and hard, I thought. It crashes into the giant high-tension power lines that go through this place. Helicopters down to ground and ends up on a, an old dirt road. I know he's good and dead, so I'm going to help Brian put Flick on that next bird. We're looking for Brian's downed bird, which we never did find. But, of course, uh, in the tradition of all, no good deed goes unpunished. Before I could send Flick for my dead bird, it squeaked to life and flew off. Ever had a day like that? It was still incredible. I didn't bring much home, but I sure had a great time. Incredible, incredible hunting. Thanks again, Mark. Uh, speaking of hunting, uh, on Facebook uh, recently I asked you uh, for a bunch of reasons. Always open to your suggestions. Do you feed your dog the morning of a hunt? And uh, the, you know, the, the consensus is probably not. Want an empty gut? There's a whole bunch of uh, performance reasons for that. There's also the risk of a bloat or what, you know, stomach twist or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so th those are the, the, the basic arguments against it. Um, Chris Mokler points out that the value of food fed in the morning is really not available to the dog while hunting that day. Good idea, and glad you brought it up. Um, everybody see, seems to be feeding once a day in the afternoon or evening of a hunt. Lance uh, says Weimariners in particular are susceptible to bloat issues. That's a good enough reason for me, yeah. Um I like this idea. Tony Hill says, I give them a little protein and carb carbohydrates based on replenishing them a bit soon after the hunt. 
a few hours later, regular evening feeding. And I get it. You know, there's a lot of people who argue that you really shouldn't put a lot of food into a dog's stomach right after hunt either. I'm even uh, being a little cautious about how much water I let Flick take in uh, at the end of a hunt. I mean, immediately after a hunt. Um, James Inbody points out that if you feed in the evening, the dog has uh, enough time to digest the food, process it before the morning hunt. Uh, Mike LaRoe will give a handful Makes a difference, he says. And somebody else uh, down the road uh, also um, mentioned uh, a, a hypoglycemic dog that probably needs a little bit of help there. We'll talk more about all of those things and particularly the idea of uh, how much volume in a stomach during a hunt is issue. Uh, uh, so, so stick around for that coming up in the Handle It segment. In the meanwhile... Let's get to it here. We're brought to you by TrueLockChokes.com. If you're if turkey guy too, I don't know. Um, I'll never sit still for that stuff. But if you're a turkey hunter, make sure you stop by the TrueLock Chokes booth at the National Wild Turkey Federation uh, gathering February 15th through 19th. Lots of show specials there. And you know, I'll bet they'll talk about them on their website as well. So take a look. There's always something to provide motivation for you to upgrade your choke situation and improve your shooting. It's all at truelockchokes.com. And take good care of your whole gun with sageandbreaker.com gun cleaning and gun care gear now there's a faster checkout system with one touch paypal so if you're doing it that way it's real simple and believe me simple is better heirloom quality goods for cleaning and taking care of your shotgun it's all at sageandbreaker.com Well, it's about time. Gosh dang it, I'll never forget my first NASTRA trial. I didn't end up last, and neither did my dog, although any mistakes were operator error, not his fault. But it's good to finally talk with the president of the National Shoot to Retrieve Association. Bill Sumter joins me. Bill, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Um you know, the, the organization, um, frankly, has a, a pretty low profile, and I understand that. I know guys who are just fanatic. They're dedicated members. They do all they can to help out, and they're very active. But why don't you just acquaint us with the organization just a little bit? Tell us what your goals are. Well, uh, the National Shoot to Retrieve, and, and I will probably uh, – shorten it to uh, NASTRA, sure. uh, NSTRA in talking, but uh, we were formed in the late uh, 60s by a group of sportsmen that wanted to prolong the hunting season, um, create better, better bird dogs, and uh, currently we have 1,600 members uh, all across the U.S., two regions in Canada, uh, we put on uh, about 800 trials a year throughout the country, uh, and our, our goals are to improve the pointing dog breeds, um, be better, um, you know, bird finders, look better on point, um, retrieving. So that, that's, and, and we're always looking for new members. Uh, you know, most of NASTRA, like a lot of organizations, are getting old. So, uh, <laughs> hey, careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'm right there. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of our goal is to improve uh, bird dogs and, and, uh, and increase membership. Well, you know, the thing that really caught me, and this is why I got involved back uh, probably on my first or second wire hair, was it is a way to uh, extend the hunting season. Um, yes, it's not hunting, but it's really close to hunting. And uh, so anybody in, in, you know, 
who who lives for bird dogs and bird hunting uh, might be able to see something valuable in that and just so that we have it covered if you want to learn more you'll you'll go to nstra.org nstra.org well tell me about your own dogs so what are you running these days oh i've got uh i've got two britneys and uh two english setters Ooh, I'm just looking at all the hair that you got to pick through at the end of a day, but that's your choice. You're a big boy. There is a bunch. There is a bunch. Uh, but uh, no, I I enjoyed both of the. Well, I like all breeds actually, but uh, pointers are a little little too high powered for me, um, and uh, I just settled on Brittany's and and setters you yep. talked about you talked about extending the hunting season and so forth and I, most of the people that get into nastra get in with a hunting dog um that's what i did and obviously he wasn't broke to uh to what you needed to to um go far in nastra mm-hmm. but that's how we all get into it because we love our hunting we love hunting we love our bird dogs and uh and and they hooked me right away because my first run i had four birds so i was i thought this is pretty easy yeah when i used to teach fly fishing i'd, I'd always send send the beginners to a, a really bad spot because I didn't want them to catch a fish on the first cast or they'd, <laughs> they'd never let me forget it. They were the experts already. So right. yeah, four birds in one run, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, give us a, give us a feel for that. What is the, what is the basis? How, what's the format for a NASTRA trial? Sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, a, a trial, a full trial consists of uh, 16 braces uh, fields are uh, typically around 40 acres, plus or minus. The uh, the handler, uh, both handlers, you have two handlers, and they're in the blinds while a bird planter uh, puts five birds out in the field, out in that 40-acre field. Each dog has a has a judge, and uh, it's you run a brace for 30 minutes. So you are judged on uh, by score on the, the fines, each fine that you have from zero to 100. And then you have to flush the bird. The dog has to remain steady until you flush it. Um, then you <clears throat> shoot the bird, hopefully, and you get scored zero to 100 on a retrieve. You're scored uh, zero to 100 on ground coverage and then zero to 75 on obedience. And then if a dog has, it is an area where he sees another dog on point, you get scored on a back uh, zero to 75. So at the end of the day on that field, you would have 32 dogs with, with scores. So unless there are extra birds left over from the brace before, um you start off with five birds um so so four is pretty good yeah i'll uh, say yeah and and at the end of the day if i remember <clears throat> i actually got asked to gun i think on either um a test uh of a dog retrieving or backing they you do some sort of end of end of day qualifying sometimes don't you no, uh, only the only after the brace is over. The only the only thing that you would do if if you have all safeties. Yeah. Uh, uh, in other words, they either flew towards a judge, didn't just over the dog's head, towards the gallery, whatever. You had to call a safety. Then a handler would have to throw a bird at the end of the brace and for a scored retrieve okay. that would apply to all those safeties. Got it. Okay. Another organization, another day. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. That's well, why right. they'd ever ask me to gun is beyond me, but, <laughs> but maybe they ran. I, I had ammo and nobody else did. There uh, you, go. <laughs> you know, I've, again, like I said in the introduction, it was uh, when, I, when I went back and looked at the scores and realized 
we didn't completely and totally suck. I was relieved. And, and there is something for everybody. You alluded to something that I truly believe in and I advocate whenever I can, and that is preparing for NASTRA or a NABDA test or even an AKC or an American field hunt test or a, or a field trial. Preparing for all that makes for a better hunting dog no matter what, doesn't it? Oh, no doubt. Uh, yeah, like I said, they they need to be they need to be steady on on the on the on the flush. Uh, your retrieves uh, they need to be two hand um, in order to get scored. Uh, and without you know without training, um, there's very few dogs that uh, they bred for, and they all have the instinct. But there's very few that do that um, clean and with style. Yeah, without yeah. training. So the training, uh, training really is what what wins a, oh, NAS, a Nastra trial. That's what separates the uh, you know the the excellent tra- the excellent handlers from uh, you know you're just mediocre handlers is is the time that you have to spend with your dogs. Now we do have, we do, we started an amateur program. I don't know what that would be five years ago. So, so now most of the trials they're, they're run what we call uh, open combined trials. So uh, if, if your dog is the first time or he could be in there several times, but as long as he doesn't have more than seven, six open points, I uh, can run as an amateur and in an amateur open combined, if that dog ends up winning the field, uh, he gets both amateur and open points. But but if he, he doesn't, then he's competing with those amateur dogs for placements. Sure. So, so there is – so we have made, uh, you know, some progress with, uh, with young dogs, with new people getting into it. Yeah, you um, know, that's, that's one of the things that I remember. You know, I've been, I've been to all of them and uh and run at least one of everything uh just to just so that i can lie about it later <laughs> but what one thing i i realize realize about uh, nastra like some other organizations is it's very welcoming to the first timer you don't have to be a pro trainer no you don't have to have a dog with an incredible with those you know what names i mean behind it um you can just show up with your bird dog and have a good time. Right. And, and, and like I said, that's what most people do. And then they realize, uh, you know, that if, if they're going to, to compete, uh, you know, at a regional level or a national level, they need to, uh, you know, put more time in, put more training in. And, and another thing, another thing that NASCAR does is uh, we have a mentor program. So for the first eight times that you go out to run, you can have a mentor walk with you and talk with you during the brace. So he can explain, you know, where you might, you know, where you might go and, and why you shouldn't go here because your brace mate just got that bird or, or so. So it, it, we're just trying to... Uh, to help the transition to becoming a, a Nastra, a Nastra handler. That's that is incredible and good job. Whoever thought that one up deserves a, a gold medal. That's incredible. One of the most intimidating aspects of this, and I'll I'll go back to my first Navda hunt test, was uh, not having been to one before, which was the dumbest thing I ever did, just to watch. Uh, but but not knowing how to act you know the protocol the etiquette uh, all those things if we had somebody taking us by the hand uh we'd probably become a better field trialer fairly quickly much quicker than if you were trying to learn it on your own i mean it's it's one it's pretty easy from the gallery to run a brace mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a whole when you're out there in the field all uh, alone <laughs> and you hear your brace mate shooting and yeah uh, yeah it's it's a it, it's it's different uh, so. 
Now, you, you mentioned the gallery and you mentioned the judges. And again, this is a lot of dogs ago when I was at my last NASTRA trial. Are the judges a horseback? No. They're not. Uh, well, it, 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 I say no. Um, 90% of them are. But okay. like in Arizona, they run on, on state ground and the state doesn't allow them to uh, run ATVs. So. Okay. So they have so in Arizona they have to be on on horseback and there's a there's a few other places around the country but most of them uh, the judges are and the bird handler uh, are are done all off ATVs. Or okay, UTVs. okay. So so one thing we might acquaint our dogs with is a motorized vehicle share in the field. Yeah, no doubt yeah. A, a motorized vehicle. And then, you know, uh, certainly running with, uh, uh, you know, another brace mate, practicing yeah. with them that where the guy's screaming and your dog <laughs> is not used to all of that, all of that noise. Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's different. You, you know, <clears throat> those things are because, you know, I try to, I don't get to train there as much as I'd like, but, but when I do, you know, we, I, I run with, you know, um, you know, a couple other club members so that, uh, you know, you're used to all those things, you know, try to set up a, have a judge that's, that's following you around the field and, and, um, and, you know, like I said, against a brace mate, of course you can get a back and train on backing and, and so forth. Yeah, and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, beyond the practical aspects of that, you know, who doesn't like training alongside somebody else once in a while? I learn something every time I go out and work with somebody. Yeah, yeah, well, we, I think we all like, you know, hunting by ourselves on occasion, but but it's also enjoyable to, to share and get their input on on uh, how to correct a dog if he's doing something wrong, whether it be retrieve or fines or um, you know backing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly enjoy. I do work by myself, but but uh, you know when I when I'm able, I I get with uh, other club members and and typically like when the weather's good. I'm in Iowa, so it's not real good right now. But, <laughs> but when the weather's good, you know, typically on Sunday, there'll be half a dozen people down there at the club, you know, um, working dogs. And and so they get used to all of that noise and commotion that's going on. Oh, that's and, great. Well, we're, we're just getting warmed up, everybody. We're going to talk more with Bill Sumter of the National Shoot to Retrieve Association, nstra.org. is how you learn more, including where your nearest chapter is, where the events are being held, the other things that take place there. Then we're going to talk more bird hunting and dog training, a lot of that coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. We'll also cover that Handle It segment, talk about how fat, is what fuels a dog's performance in the field. So stick around. Bill, same for you. Hang tight for just a moment. We'll be right back to you after this brief commercial message. Yeah, we are brought to you by MidwayUSA.com. They carry just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. Their bird hunting and dog training selection is expanding by the day. I know, I'm nagging them every day to add more and more stuff, and they're doing it. So check it all out at MidwayUSA.com. You know, they got 20,000 products that will ship free, everything from GPS to boots. Competitive pricing, and by the way, if you're looking for ammo, these guys have it. I just got another shipment of Target rounds for my 28-gauge don't ask why I need more target rounds. You know why. Anyway, I personally know Larry Potterfield. He's a role model for all of us supporting our sports and the Second Amendment. Learn more about the organization and their products at MidwayUSA.com.
And welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Bill Sumter, the president of the National Shoot to Receive. <laughs> yeah, I got right. retrieving on the, on the mind. The National Shoot to Retrieve Association, where um, the handlers often receive birds from their dogs. Am I right on that, Bill? Oh, that is absolutely correct. More the better. <laughs> they, they better is right. <laughs> well, let's get back to your dogs for a minute. What a, what an I guess in a way, an interesting combination, Brits and, and setters. How'd you settle on them? Well, I, uh, I had, uh, I had Brittany's and, um, and that's what I, uh, that's what I started with national future retrieve. But, um, uh, you know, as I got into it longer and then, you know, judge, uh, mm-hmm. You know, looking at those pointers and setters on point with a 12 o'clock tail and the head up, that's just pretty hard to beat. So I, I, so I ended up uh, getting setters. I think I'll always have Britneys, um, but um, I think I'll always have have setters too, just just because of how they look. Uh, uh, that gets me. They yeah, you know, slam a point, and they got a twelve o'clock tail, and it's, you know, a, a short hair, a, a Brittany, uh, you know, wire hair, you know, they they can do everything just this, you know, the same or better. Um, but when when you're just standing there looking at that dog on point, that's pretty. And when they're running across the field with ground coverage and their tails cracking and it's, it's up, um, yeah, yeah. My first, my first setter, I watching her hunt. She'd cover three times the ground as my Brittany, and he'd find twice the bird, and I'd still rather watch her run. Yeah. Oh man, the goose pimples are are all over me after that description. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and I, I. You know, like I said, I I just haven't ever had a short hair, but you know they they find birds and they and some of them look great, but it's it's just not like a pointer or setter standing there um, on point. Uh, yeah. You ever that's run- why that's that's how I got the mix. I uh, I understand completely. Uh, uh, I would only add one thing. We got lucky one one TV shoot, uh, and Tad, one of my one of my camera guys, got a setter backlit, sun behind him, silhouetted. It was like the dog was glowing. Yeah, and and you know you see that feathering and and the tail, you know, in the breeze. It, it's yeah, it's. Yeah, that's why I got them. And, and you know, I judge a lot uh, simply because every organization needs judges. But yeah. when you're when you're out there on the bike and you're you're judging, you, you aren't you don't love me. And I don't think any judge is out there to see the bad work. You're out to see that dog that's running Mach 10 swaps in and. It looks like a million bucks, you know. That's 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 what what the organization um, wants to uh, wants to breed in, and uh, and that's that's personally why why I judge. I I mean, I've been known to when a dog does that go wow, you know, <laughs> just out of just out of response because that's that's why you sit there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because as a judge, you probably see things, and, and this is how we're going to start talking about hunting and, and training, too. You're out there judging dogs. What are some of the things that you uh, see handlers and dogs do uh, that probably is the most common in the way of, uh, I'll call them mistakes, just because I don't know what else to call them right off. Right, right. Well, uh handlers uh you know in, in the game and and it's i'm sure it's probably true hunting too but they they tend to a dog has not moved he's he's got a he's staunch on point he's intense and they hunt and hunt and hunt and can't find the bird and then they relocate him and then they then they can't find him they relocate him again 
and and he may take a couple steps, whatever. Well, by the end, he's looking right down at that bird, and um, and that creates problems in the future. Yeah. That dog thinks he's he needs to walk up on that bird, and I, I think that's probably the most common with young handlers. You see, you see experienced handlers. As long as that dog's intense and he's not and he's not looking around, he's he's focused. They're gonna stay there, and they know their dog, and they know that bird's there. It's it's their job to find it. Yeah, you know, you you make an interesting point. I, I find my I catch myself doing this every once in a while. I keep thinking, much like anybody else you just described, you, you the 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 bird is not within five yards of where you thought it was, so you give up when you ought to go out 35 yards because sometimes that's how far away the bird is from the dog, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 Now, in in our situation, I mean, that happens That happens some, but, but typically the, what I was describing happens like during hip, when we have heavy cover. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And it's, and it's hot. And it's, it's uh, you know, these, these birds are uh, pen race birds. And, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're put down in the field and, and it's hot, they'll bury in and handlers have a, have a tough time finding them and they may be within five yards and the dog knows it mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't want to move, but, uh, the handler is thinking he falls pointed. And so he's wanting to, to get on around the field, um, and I, that's that's kind of the uh, one of the main problems that I that I see. Well, so so that that really is operator error. That's one where we got basically a lazy handler, isn't it? Well, yeah, lazy or, or naive. Yeah, you know, just inexperienced. Yeah. And, and not being able to read his dogs. You know, these the like I said, your your experienced handlers or good handlers, they can. They can read their dogs, and if their dog isn't moving and is intense, they know that bird's there. Now, if he's ticking when he when he started to, to point, or he he looks around, you know, after he's flushed for a while, you know, he knows that that bird isn't there. Yeah. Based on on what the dog is telling him. So you're in Iowa. Is yeah. that, uh, I would presume that's where you hunt when you're when you're going out and hunting for fun. What? what? Uh, yeah, I'm there in Montana yeah. and you know Kansas when I can. Yeah. Well, good. So um, that gives me a, a good choice in three of my favorite states. <laughs> um, wh- what do you like to chase when you're in those other states? Well, uh, you know my favorite are hunts mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. that that's that's my favorite um when i've gone out to montana and, and uh, i don't know i guess probably 13 years in a row that i've went out there but we always go before uh pheasant season yeah so we're just we're just chasing the uh, prairie birds yeah um, and uh sharp-tailed grouse are, are are nice they're okay but huns <laughs> but huns are like huns are like quail on steroids man they they'll hold for you uh once you get them up and and uh, a time or two they'll hold tight they fly hard um and they're not like sharp tail where they may get up and fly a mile and so you gotta chase them for a mile to uh to get that uh group back up again so uh, and then, of course, Kansas quail. Um, yeah. You know, and now in Iowa, we don't. Southern Iowa has a huntable quail population, but it's not it's not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do, I do hunt, you know, pheasants, but it's pheasant hunting um, with pointing dogs uh, in the tall cover. You can't see the dog as much, mm-hmm. uh, and and which is why i like kansas and montana because you can see <laughs> you can see you can see your dogs i mean that's why i got them to watch them to watch what yeah. they do their work uh uh and and pheasants you know they run so they can they can create some bad habits oh i i can't agree more i tell everybody if you if you really want to be a pheasant hunter get a flushing dog exactly 
Yeah, and that's one thing that I didn't mention, that National Future Retrieve uh, is for pointing dogs. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a a flushing dog uh, category. So So what what about a pointing lab? No. no, (laughs) Nice try, though. But... uh, but no, um, and, and, and no offense if you're listening and you own a pointing lab. God no, bless you. Yeah, no, no, but but that's just not one of the yeah. pointing breeds. I that, get it. That, yeah. that we were no, I I hunted behind pointing labs, and they're you know they have you got the best of both worlds for pheasants. Yeah, exactly. In you know, tall cover. Uh, let's you know, go. Let's go back to Huns because uh, <clears throat> the last four seasons, I've I've seen more Huns than I saw in the last. 30 years of my hunting career um have you noticed an uptick in in the populations where you go no uh and and that's partly my fault because i didn't get to do much uh this year now the people that yeah. i went with uh they they did but i we have a, a national trial out there have had for the last four years in lewistown and and uh no, with with my responsibilities, yeah, I had to get yeah. back. So I only got to on a couple of days, so I didn't experience it. Uh, plus, it was a hundred degrees, you know, <laughs> in the nineties, yeah, during the trial and and uh, the week after. But uh, I had some friends that stayed another three weeks, and and they had a good, they had a really good hunt. You know, so, I I think one year I was out there right after one of your trials. I spent significant time in Lewistown, and uh, and I think we were right. Is that late summer, early fall sometime? It, yes, it's uh, Labor Day. Yeah, okay. It's the week yeah. after Labor Day. Yeah, yeah. And the last four years, it's uh, it's been at the Hooterite Colony. Oh, yeah? The King Colony there uh, west of town. Nice. Um, they're very gracious. Hosts. Oh, yeah best pie in town by the way <laughs> <laughs> well they they can cook they, they are, but uh, but yeah like the the first day of the trial it was 103 oh my god okay so now that we're on that topic we we are coming back to huns again i promise um but <clears throat> what do you do whether it's a trial or a hunt i mean if it was a hunting day i'd just call it I'd go to, I'd go back down to town and sample the new brewery, but um, you got to run a dog in a trial and it's a hundred degrees. What are you going to do? It, well, what you're going to do? They 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 have to have a minimum of three water buckets in every field. Yeah. And so you're going to uh, you're going to get make sure that you're whether he wants to or not gets in that water to cool him off. Yeah. yeah. Can't run for thirty minutes, uh, and these dogs run. I mean, they they are athletes. Uh, so you you've got to get them. You got to get them water. Um, a lot of people carry water. Um, if it's really hot, I do. But you know, otherwise, I just make sure that they're getting in those water tubs as yeah. you you go past them to yeah. cool off. You ever? Um, is there a telltale? Pardon the pun. Um, you're a judge. You see this all the time. What's the most obvious indication of an overheated dog? Uh, their tongue dragging on the ground. Yeah. It yeah. starts to get blue. I, I've seen dogs that, you know, have, have you know, been overheated, had heat exhaustion, and, and uh, you know, get wobbly in the back end. And, and I've had to tell the handler that he needs to pick that dog up. Yeah. Um, not because he's doing anything wrong with the rule, but for the dog's sake, uh, you know, the dog was suffering, Yeah. but, but, you know, dogs that are, you know, typically we, you know, they'll pant and they'll have their mouth open, you know, when they, when they get hot, but when their tongue, when their tongue starts getting, getting extended and, and, uh, getting blue, um, they need to be in some water. Yeah. They need to find some water. Well, so. good to know. Um, sharp tails versus huns. I know your preference. Do you see a difference in the habitats? Oh, definitely, definitely. Now you can find them in both. Yeah, you know, you, you can find them in in the sage. You can, but but certainly, but certainly, huns like to be around around the green fields. You know, yeah. in 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 
you know, in, in, you know, not much, maybe not much visible cover. Yeah. Wheat double, which can be hard to get them pinned. Uh, but, uh, but sharp tails. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're the only thing about sharp tails is, uh, when you, when you, when the group get busted, you can watch them for a long ways. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> Kansas, uh, not Kansas, South Dakota is a perfect example of that. You know, you can, you can watch a sharp tail fly away for three days. Yeah. That's how yeah, flat yeah. it is. And if yeah. you want to see it fly away for a week, just stand on a tuna fish can. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Uh, you, you know, I, I kept forgetting until um, the last day of our season, which was very recent in my memory, because my dog slammed a point in the middle of a cut wheat field. And I had been so dozing that I'd forgotten. Oh, well, of course, that's where huns are going to be when they can be. What, what the heck are they doing out there in the, in the middle of the day, in the middle of a field like that? Well, they're eating. Are they, they still? Sure, sure, they're eating because uh, they certainly aren't getting much shade. Yeah, and I don't know what kind of what kind of day. You know, when it's when it's warm, uh, like uh, you know you you know you, you the hunts you know be under a tree yeah. or a bush, uh, you know, into the shade. But but I. I got a lot of vivid memories of watching watching huns running right down that right down that wheat stubble. Yeah, clear to the other end of the field, and no <laughs> dogs are going to get them. Yeah, kind of kind of like a pheasant in corn. Yeah, exactly, that's exactly right. You know, yep. but but you know, you bring up a good point. It was the middle of the day. In fact, it was the end of the day. We were heading back to the truck, um, but but it was four degrees. Ah, uh, so they they were they were bulking up on the calories. Sure. sure. Never sure. got a shot. Watch, watch that f- bunch fly. Watch the flight of that bunch scare another bunch into the air, and then watch that bunch scare a pair into the air, all 150 yards away. You've never seen that, have you? Yeah, that's hunting. <laughs> that's hunting. That's 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 not. It's not uh, harvesting. It's hunting. Yeah, absolutely. If it was easy, they'd call it shopping. Oh my. Yeah. Well, you know, we we train, whether it's for an astro trial or just to go find quail in western Kansas. Um, what are some of the things that you think we should do better at when we're training our dogs for hunting situations? Well, I think number one is obedience. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we can do all the bird work that we want, but whether you're in the field or whether you're in the in the master trial uh, you need an obedient dog now if you're hunting you have you have an opportunity to have an e-collar on and and they can help you but um but they need to be obedient they don't need to be i mean i like my dogs to run and i don't you know i don't care if they're out there 300 yards whatever if they if they're going to hold a point but if I don't want them to go to an area, they need to, they need to listen. Or if they need to, whoa, or, or, um, heal, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's one thing that most everybody, because that's the least fun thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's way more fun to put birds out in, and, uh, work on bird work or retrieving than it is obedience but you know you bring up the two things that are most important and i'm going to narrow it down to one thing because i'm looking at the barbed wire fence that was um, oh. um you know the the subject of a, a veterinarian visit not a not a day and a half ago um dog on point uh at some point has to understand that that that's an obedience situation as well yeah yeah yeah, we have, you know, we, you know, if you, and I'm going to relate it to a trial situation, but it's no different than, well, bird hunting, but you you flush the bird and it goes out of bounds and there's a, you know, there's a uh, barbed wire fence there that it's going over. I mean, you need to be able to control that dog, not to chase that bird and go through that barbed wire fence, um, you know. 
for his for his safety and you know to get on down the field yeah yeah i mean it well like i said obedience it's not fun it's 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 time consuming but it, it, i think it's the most important thing uh, uh let's leave uh with one more question you hunt wild birds out there in the same country i do in fact i'm I'm making a promise to everybody listening right now here at the Upland Nation podcast that uh, I will be back in that Lewistown country for sharp tail season. I, I call it sharp tail season because that's generally what I find. Um, maybe we can connect if you're there as well. But uh, Bill Sumter with the National Shoot to Retrieve Association. If you're out there in the field chasing huns and you got a dog or two on the ground, what's in your vest that we may not have thought of that we should always carry that you carry? Well, I don't carry much. I carry uh, I carry um, side cutters. Yeah. In case they uh, get into some kind of a trap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, barbed wire that's probably the one thing that i carry that it, a lot of people don't other than that you know if it's hot a collapsible water container um and then my my uh my garmin yeah 550 plus yeah yeah it works for me works for you uh, love it uh, you know that's you know, and I don't know why I carry shells because I can't hit anything anyway. <laughs> but I usually have a shell or two in there. I have a friend. God bless him. He's shown me some great places. You all know him. He's been on the podcast. Uh, he's a big game hunter, so he carries two boxes full of ammo. And, and it doesn't slow him down one bit. I carry eight. <laughs> if, if I get eight shots in a hunt, I'm a grateful hunter. Uh Bill Sumter with the National Shoot to Retrieve Association. Pleasure. We'll do it again. If you want to learn more out there about them, nstra.org is where you do it. Bill, thanks so much for your insights, your wisdom, and uh, for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it was certainly a pleasure. Have a great day. You too. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment with that handle it segment. Put the potato chips away. Learn how to fuel your dog correctly in the field. It's all coming up right after this from PointerShotguns.com. Yeah, I was at the SHOT Show. Always am. Yeah, despite their best efforts, they can't keep me out. But at the SHOT Show, I got to actually handle the new side-by-side -side shotgun from uh, PointerShotguns.com. It's a sweet shooter. Fit and finish just fine, thank you. Uh, it will be available at nearby retailers very soon, so watch out for that. If you want an update on when it will be available, it will be at PointerShotguns.com. Com. So uh, check it out. Check out some of my videos and my articles there. Get ready for the new side-by-side. -side. Handle it. <laughs> uh, Flick's last hunt of the season. I'll tell you why it was his last hunt uh, on another podcast. But Flick's last hunt of this season was a 30-mile day. Yeah, he did 30. <laughs> I did six maybe seven i think now that i think about it. Uh, and i was reminded once again i mean the guy was as fresh at the end of the hunt as it was only a four-hour hunt uh but it, i was reminded of how important it is to keep our dog fueled yeah keep fuel in the tank all day now we talked earlier about not feeding in the morning so there the dog's got a deficit but more importantly than that it's about all the the things that you want a dog to do just like your vehicle you got to keep the fuel flowing my fear like many of you is um, the stomach twist uh, but it also you know a full belly slows a dog down it impacts their performance in many ways so what do you do in the middle of the day and then thank you bruno for asking me that again and here's the answer um, you find something that has low volume and high fat because yeah unlike humans who can survive a day on simple carbohydrates a dog needs fat that's what they processed 
best during the day of a hunt. So if you want a dog to have instant energy, just like you can slam down a monster or a five-hour energy drink, dogs need fat. So you want something with a lot of fat and not much volume. Okay, here's what I've settled on. Egg yolks. <laughs> no, no, don't cup your hands or put them in your vest pocket. Get some of those little squeeze tubes that moms get for their little kids. It opens up like a Ziploc bag on the top. It's got a screw top on the other end. You put a couple egg yolks in there, squish them around so they're more liquid-like. Keep them in a cool place in your vest. Don't display them to the blazing sun. And then every hour or so, just squeeze out a little bit for the dog, you know, when he's coming back for water or something like that. I, I've never met a dog that won't eat a raw egg yolk. And yolks are the best. Yeah, you can mix it with the white, but the white is mainly protein and the yolk is mainly fat. I think the last time I looked it was like 90% fat. I'm disgusted. The dogs are ecstatic. Egg yolks for instant energy in the field. Try it sometime. Okay, so <laughs> we are brought to you in part by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. Yeah, they are there for you when it comes to new gear as well. Brand new Negrini cases just for bird hunters. Yeah, they they finally did it. They finally created a case just for guys like us. Beautiful detailing, made in Italy, of course. Some blaze orange, so everybody knows you're one of us. Functional, lightweight, airline approved. Midvalleyclays.com is where you browse the entire Negrini case line. Midvalleyclays.com. Thanks. If you commented at the social platforms, I wish I could read them all out loud, but you know, uh, you can always go to the Wing Shooting USA or the Upland Nation Facebook pages and, and read all of the wisdom that other people have to bestow upon us, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you very much. I'm also very thankful for the kind ratings and reviews you're leaving these days. That's how we grow. Somebody looks at that and says, oh, five stars? I better give it a try. So keep up the good work in that regard. I'm also thankful to our sponsors, Sage and Breaker, Pointer Shotgun, Mid-Valley Clays, Midway USA, and True Lock Chokes. So if you are buying something that they sell, please tell them I sent you. It's how we stay alive right here in the podcast world. Most importantly, it's all about you. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Scott Linden. See you next week on the Upland Nation podcast. <laughs>